This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Looking to get out of the ads and back to the story? Fable and Folly Plus is a new way to support the creators you love. The podcast you're listening to right now and more than 60 others can be heard ad-free for as little as $4 a month by visiting fableandfolly.com slash plus. And now, the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program is offering bonus content to Fable and Folly Plus supporters, including character creation and how-to-play episodes, plus cast and crew outtakes, all still entirely ad-free. Fable and Folly Plus. Sign up today at fableandfolly.com slash plus. Omniverse. The Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program is for mature audiences only. Please listen at your own discretion. If you find our Stygian story simply scintillating, unlock further secrets at patreon.com slash omniverse media and help us fund future series via our Indiegogo campaign at cthulhumystery.com slash crowdfund. Hear that? In the cruel blackness of night, an unknowable evil from beyond time cries out. What dark deeds unfold on the streets of Arkham, and which unwitting souls, innocent or impure, will succumb to the maddening call, the call of Cthulhu. Welcome to Cthulhu Cthomentary. Hi, I am the showrunner of the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program, Cat Blackard. With me is our keeper, Luke Stram. Hey there, everybody. And our sound designer, Colin Peterson. Hey, hey, hey. In Cthulhu Cthomentary, we go behind the scenes of every episode of our show. And this is the beginning of Night at Howling House. Now, normally, this is a Patreon-exclusive podcast, but... For the sake of continuing to communicate with you fine folks here on our feed during the duration of our crowdfunding campaign, our patrons have kindly given us permission to take this out from behind the paywall and share the first couple episodes with you. So for the next two weeks, we are going to be releasing Cthulhu Cthomentary for Night at Howling House out here in the public feed, and then the remainder of our Cthulhu Cthomentary coverage will be on our Patreon at patreon.com slash omniversemedia. But, of course, the reason that we're here talking to you on our public feed is because we currently have a crowdfunding campaign going on. Off the top right here, I want to say to you, if you haven't yet, please, please, please go to cthulhumystery.com slash crowdfund and just give us a, a dollar, a couple bucks, or maybe five if you're so inclined, because we will not exist otherwise. This will be the final season of the show. 
Tell your friends. Tell all your friends. Yeah, no, quite literally, y'all. If you enjoyed all of the stuff that's been put out throughout the years and you feel that the minutes that you would be spending that $15, $20 at the movie theater for two and a half hours of content, we've given you so many more hours of content for free. So if you were to spend that $20 that you feel like you would be giving to you know, a large corporation like the mouse or, you know, 20th Century Fox or whatever, those big corporations that honestly don't need that $20. And um, are now one in the same. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. That $20 means a lot to us and can go a long way for us. So if you feel like you have gotten the same amount of entertainment out of the content that we have put out, then we truly, truly, truly ask and implore you to take that five minutes like right now, like take that five minutes, like right now, if you were able to do so, if you're not driving, Press if you're sitting, now. Yeah, yeah, and log on to the website and make sure that you ensure that you and others like you get to enjoy this content going forward. As we will talk about, if you haven't listened to previous Cathomentaries, this is a very complicated process. And that's the reason why you get such good content is because of that complicated process. So that process costs money and we want to make sure that we're taking care of our people, especially now and especially during this time. So if you feel like artists should be taken care of, this would also be a time and a reason to donate. Yeah. And for those of you who have, thank you so much. We appreciate it from the bottom of our hearts. As of this recording, we've got about close to 100 people who've contributed, which is amazing. But we are uh, around 35-ish percent of our goal so keep spreading the word tell people if you have any like rich relatives i don't know like did they want to produce a cool horror show that's neat great well boy we have a tier for them it's called summoner and uh they can become an executive producer for just <laughs> one thousand doll hairs we really appreciate everything and we will do everything we can to keep this show going absolutely um, and we love comments too so like ratings and reviews if you can't donate ratings and reviews are also a way for you to help the show as well and if you want to hop on our discord we love having discussions with folks yeah you'll definitely see me there i am terminally online <laughs> <laughs> all right you yeah. want to dive in let's do it let's dive let's dive in okay so just up front spoiler warning the Cathomentaries are not to be listened to until you've listened to the entirety of Night at Howling House. This is not something where you listen to episode one and then listen to the Cathomentary for episode one. We're going to be giving you the full context of everything. So it's important that you've listened to all seven episodes of Night at Howling House at this point. Flashback to the middle of releasing our second series, The Terrible Secret of Lot X, we record the dare for call of cthulhu mystery program luke why don't you talk a little bit about selecting the dare and you've played it a number of times since we did this yeah. and, and your thoughts on like the whole piece in in general we talk about the history a little bit in the meet the cast episode yeah. but what else is there to know when we were talking about what we wanted to do like part of it was to try to have something relatively contained that could be like recorded quickly having something small and maybe easy to edit <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was looking through all of my old stuff and and this Kickstarter had happened to come out around that time. It was something that I th saw that I thought was interesting and had picked it up for the purposes of using it myself at some point as part of the, the release process for the Kickstarter, like before the final version came out, they released like a, a prototype test version. And when I read through it, I kind of had a look at it and was like, yeah, this is exactly the kind of thing to have a very like short, tight game. It's got a hard time limit. 
It's pretty straightforward. It's an easy thing. So we could even bring in new people and I think they do well with it. And I mean, that ended up being kind of what happened. And I think a lot of that was just that idea of, you know, it being short and contained. And this is basically a tournament game. So it's built for that. I've run it a few times now. And I think as a game to run in like a single night, it's great for that. Yeah, it's a classic for a reason. It does a really great job of streamlining the Call of Cthulhu experience for children characters. And especially if you want to do a 1980s era storyline, that's great. And obviously it works well in the 20s also. So I don't recall why it happened, but Colin is not local to Orlando where um, most of the rest of our team is from. And Colin has done more role-playing with us than most folks at being a part of our original tabletop role-playing podcast series, Dungeons and Doritos. And he's obviously intimately familiar with the show being the sound designer. So it was a natural fit. We'd wanted to do it for a while. And I think we probably built the recording session around you being in town, if I remember yeah. correctly. And I was really excited about being a part of this. I love doing role-playing with good people and good friends. And um, I hadn't met Luke before. I'd only known Luke through the podcast, like, you know, editing things together and doing the sound design for that. That was the first time that we met in person was when we gamed together for the dare, which was really exciting. The cool thing also that I really loved about the dare and, and I ran it as well. It was the first time that I ever ran as a DM or as a keeper, a call of Cthulhu game because it's a great gateway game to get into it because everything's really simplified. And then you can get things really complicated, but like you have those really simplified, be a pal and play with matches and like gym class and like all these things that equate to things that equate to regular Call of Cthulhu games. So it's a really great gateway to get into Call of Cthulhu if you're looking to get into playing the game, along with other ones I'm sure that Luke could suggest. But from my perspective it was a really really nice way as a player and also as a keeper yeah and if you want luke to suggest stuff to you well he does that all the time on our discord server so (laughs) (laughs) omniverse.media slash discord come hang out with us assembling the cast for this i had already been kind of eyeballing some folks that i wanted to work with and chief among them was chris labrain I had heard him on a radio show run by Mark with a C, who you may know uh, from doing some music for Call of Cthulhu, or if you go all the way back to our work as the podcast network, the Nerdy Show Network, then you'll probably be very familiar with Mark with a C's work. He's a musician and also hosted a radio show for a long time. So Chris and I had been around each other from Orlando music-related stuff, but gosh, once I heard him on the air, I was just like, floored by his energy and i thought i don't know if this person's ever done tabletop gaming before but if he says yes this is going to be incredible i I think it's really important to cast people from outside the sphere of the usual like comedians or you know seasoned role players seasoned role players are great but seasoned role players have also been doing these things so long they might have like a different approach to things especially with mystery program because we want performances first because we want people to like be in the moment, I think it's really important to have folks who haven't been jaded by the uh, the medium, if that makes any sense. And uh, Chris felt right. And I'm so glad that he said yes and that the instincts were good on this. He, it was incredible. 
Luke, I don't remember exactly what happened in regards to me being Roger, but you, you showed me the campaign and at some we had some kind of consensus of this would be really good if the players didn't know what the fuck was happening here. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it was kind of a thing where um you were looking to be a little more hands off possibly as a character and, and something like that. So like that was where, you know, I kind of said, Hey, you know, I've got this idea with it where there's a character that's kind of a GM plant, but if I'm not playing that character it might you know it might be a lot more effective and i think it was uh because yep yeah oh, when, infinitely. Uh... <laughs> colin you didn't know right i knew that there was something up i didn't know that you were you know the mini boss you know what i mean i didn't right. know you, that like of course i had information because i was doing some plot stuff early on but like not that i was part of the plot i mean ish but like i I didn't know to the extent of how you were part of the plot because you and luke would you know look at each other and smile or like whisper (laughs) to each other and giggle because you would also consult with luke about like what do i know what do i not know on certain things you know and we were living the terror as as we say (laughs) it was fun though to have another person to play off that also wasn't also the keeper you know and have somebody that was on our level like having an npc that was like with us the entire time but an npc that was fully voiced and fully characterized and fully personalized by someone who was very different than the keeper i thought that that brought a lot of hijinks that may or may not have have happened because then luke got to do his hijinks and then you got to do your hijinks and then the two of them came together and to make this really lovely uh, this this really lovely horrible experience for our team um you know what i mean and it was and i say that in like the best way possible because it truly was a really fun evening especially once we really got into it and really got into the house and really learned what was going on you can tell that also too like joey and woods were starting to build off of each other because Chris and I were having such a good time at the table. We were poking at each other of like, Oh, Joey, why don't you get something off the top of the shelf or why don't you climb up there and get it? And like, like the two of us had a really good time being like table rivals, but that wouldn't have happened if Joey wasn't the Roger two, you know, aspect (laughs) of things. So Mm -hmm. uh, it was great. It was, it was super fun, but yeah, I had no idea that you were a, skin servitor or anything of that nature (laughs) or an oogie boogie yeah i really wanted brandon back in the game because father grandfather had been so divisive in the black birth and continues to be to this day (laughs) with people who listen to the show if you like our show please kindly uh go on apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review to make up for all the one-star reviews that people give over father grandfather just um, because of Father Grand, like literally just because yeah. of Father Grandfather. <laughs> and it seems like, if I were just dissecting this a little bit, it seems like most of the time they don't get past the first episode and they just sort of have like, let's say trauma built up from like problem players at the table and they think that that's what he is, which is actually not the case. But if you're listening to this, you probably know that. Brandon has good energy at the table. He's one of my favorite role players to work with. He doesn't actually have any confidence in himself at all, which is a shame He's actually very good at what he does once he lets himself go. So I always love to get him back in a place where he can do something remarkable. And uh, and I'll be damned if he didn't do it again because Dirk is 100%. Like when I said, you can't be father-grandfather again. He was like, all right, well, let me just do the exact opposite. And well, yeah. well, well, didn't he prove everybody wrong? Nailed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, total redemption arc. <laughs> <laughs> 
Sweet Dirt. Sweet Dirt. I guess, like, seemingly fan favorite character, uh, Dirt, with no divisiveness about it at all. Mm -hmm. So the other member of the party ended up being Amanda Bruno, but actually it came really close to being Melody Pereira, who plays Anjana in The Terrible Secret of Lot X. She, after recording with us as a voice actor, was really interested in experiencing tabletop role-playing, which she'd never done before. But unfortunately, she had been in a car accident and just eventually like, had to back out the last minute because she was feeling too much physical discomfort and couldn't be seated for as long as this session was going to take. So we needed a last-minute replacement and therefore reached for Amanda. Uh, that's uh, my sister-in-law. Actually, she uh, had done... A fair bit of gaming before. She's an artist, and uh, she was interested in trying out Call of Cthulhu and had never done it before. So Yeah, she was great. And what I love, too, is I think literally everybody at the table, besides Brandon, of the main players, had never played Call of Cthulhu before. Yeah. Which is cool. It was a great, tidy recording session. Felt like it was almost, you know, virtually in real time. And we came out of that thinking, cool, we can release this really quickly which did not happen for a lot of reasons, not the least of which was a pandemic looming on the horizon. So here we are. It's 2022. We recorded it in 2019, and we had another multi-year break between seasons. Unfortunate, but that is what we're trying to fix by having a crowdfunding campaign to make sure that post-production happens in a timely fashion. We'll see how it goes. And if you're a greedy RPG gremlin, don't forget there are some things in it for you. Uh, you can add little extras on top of it. The Adventure from uh, Season 2 is uh, an actual published module that we're releasing. We've got the fish coins, which uh, make great little inspiration tokens. A physical indicator that is specifically themed to a kind of Lovecraftian bent. How does this work for yeah. gameplay purposes? Basically, it's something where uh, somebody can earn a reroll to kind of use at any point in time to kind of help themselves out of a situation. Mm. And they can recover those through good role playing or doing something interesting at the table or... It's vibes. It's all based. You right. got you got good vibes. <laughs> you get an inspiration token, and then you can kind of hang on to that inspiration token, and then you can spend it to get a reroll, and then do more good vibes, get more token. Call of Cthulhu already has that built-in luck system, but you know that's something that easily can be done on top of it. We hope you'll check out our crowdfunding campaign and all the opportunities therein, including having Luke run a game for you, either being a part of a game or just renting out the whole table and you and your friends get whisked off to a terrible adventure. I'm excited about the possibility of that. Like I've got, I've got a couple of ones that uh, if people want to be guinea pigs for things that might get used down the road in Cthulhu mystery, I'm, I'm all for that. Otherwise, if uh, people want me to go to my deep vaults and pull out some old 80s or 90s game that uh, was written for Call of Cthulhu a long time ago and make use of it, we can do that too. Yeah. All that is available at CthulhuMystery.com slash crowdfund. The way it works with this in general is starting at five bucks, you get access to what we're calling the Black Market, which is a library of add-on experiences. So... Say, for example, you've got a little bit of money and you want to do something a bit zesty like hiring Luke to play a game. Give us five bucks. Get access to the black market. That way we've got some money that goes directly back into making the show. And then you could purchase Luke's time, which we are, of course, paying Luke for. And all of this is to facilitate post-production for our next series. This show is so complicated, as you're about to hear. This can only happen with your help. Yeah. 
Do you want to like officially move into episode one or? Yeah, let's do it. So off the top, before the story starts, we've got uh, the narrator welcoming people back to uh, WIS. And if this intro sounded familiar to anybody, it's because I cannibalized it. We were paid to put an episode of Roanoke Falls, a John Carpenter and Sandy Carpenter produced audio drama from Realm in our feed. This is before we did any of the um, Pod Friends Months or Haunters in the Dark uh, feed spotlights for other audio dramas. So in order to introduce that show, I wrote a new narrator segment, but that was paid to be in our feed for just a, a couple months. So once it went away, the narrator's introduction went away. But I liked the narrator's introduction so much that I just did it again and didn't have to rescript the beginning part. So that part where you're listening to, like he's talking about the, the Voto Dodio Blues and all that, that commentary, that stuff was actually in another release that now no longer exists in the feed. And I just recycled it. That's an instance where Colin has an archive of fair use 1920s jazz. And every now and then I'll go into it and be like, okay, what the hell is this song? And sort of reverse engineer that. So the Vodododio Blues, the narrator makes these comments talking about shoot the radio, don't come to down to the radio station and shoot me and stuff like that. Those are references to lyrics of that song. And I got a little bit deeper into the history than I needed to. Um, <laughs> that's the tip. That's the that is the cat blackguard way, though. Like yeah. that is that is the way. Like get like I, that is a common phrase that escapes your lips. Is I got a little bit into the, more into the history than I intended. <laughs> I I don't know how many times I've heard you say something almost identical to that phrase uh-huh. um, in the history of our relationship. Many, many. I mean, I mean, we're talking. Like at least like in the hundreds, like we're, I've heard it, I've heard it many times. And which is one of the things that I love dearly about you. Uh, and it is so like, you just dive down that rabbit hole and keep pulling that sweater thread. And it's just so fantastic. So the Vodododio Blues is a song in reference to another song. There is a song from 1926 called Crazy Words, Crazy Tunes, which goes a little something like this. Crazy words, crazy tune, all that I ever hear him croon. Voto dodio, voto dodio, voto dodio do, etc., etc. It's about somebody who is playing a ukulele and singing the same words to every song, just kind of subbing in nonsense for words he doesn't know. So that was 1926. And then in 1927, the Voto dodio blues came out. I'm not sure about the full historical context. I don't know if this is like wow, that song was overplayed. Here's another song. Or like how after the twist was popular, they did Let's Twist Again. I'm not really sure what the popular music relationship is here. But uh, yeah, Voto Dodio Blues riffs off of this crazy words, crazy tune song. And there are lyrics such as, stop saying those crazy rhymes. Gee, I've heard them a million times. I've got a 44 that I'll use if you refuse. And I was like, well, that's intense. Okay. (laughs) Jazz Age diss tracks. (laughs) Then, of course, we have a commercial for Expergo, which is a cleaning powder. And uh, that is another thing that I borrowed from. Uh, it's the, the thing about here's the thing about podcast ads. Podcast ads are super fun. But when we get an ad buy, it's typically they are paying for a unique piece of audio that runs for a week. But if they do multiple ad buys, then we might be doing three unique pieces of audio that disappear after a week. 
Now, I think there should be a different system and that we should like, you know, the all the quality writing of everybody at, say, the Fable and Folly Network should be able to have longevity, you know, for the same reason that I can tell you all the lyrics to the blow pop commercial from the 90s. I think that our charming and witty rapport should be regurgitated ad nauseum within reason. But we did a commercial for a cleaning product called Blue Land. Uh, it was originally written by John Laval and was to be read by the narrator, and I rewrote it a bit. I really liked what I wrote, but I didn't end up using much of it in the end. I used a, <laughs> a, a fraction of it because I had to change the name of the product. Friends, let me ask you this. Are you haunted by the Phantom of Filth? Do you find yourself staring off into the corners and dark, dusty spaces, wondering what lurks in the goop and grime watching you? Are you terrified by the graveyard of dinner's past cluttering your kitchen? Does a sour scent slink into your snars like a sickening specter assailing your senses? Say to those foul spirits in awful apparitions, be gone! Help is here, and its name is Blue Land. A promise of the glistening utopia of cleanliness awaiting on the horizon. Blue Land cleaning supplies can be delivered directly to your door in the form of delightfully scented tablets that you mix with your own water in an eco-friendly reusable bottle. Their refills are not only affordable, but they are convenient too. Never again fall prey to ghastly grunge or the poltergeist of putrescence. Let Blue Land turn your haunted mansion into a delightful and dazzling domicile. Right now, you can get... I had some wording that was kind of like talking about taking something spooky and making it sparkly. So let's go down an exorcism route. And I found the Latin word for expurgo, which is I roughly translated to like awaken or rouse up, then just kind of riffed off of that and did it a whole bunch. And I don't know if anybody's going to notice this, but the alliteration game between Lot X and between Howling House has stepped up exponentially. And that's because... And you might barf because it's super cute, but that's because of a fun game my girlfriend and I play where when we wake up in the morning, we send an intensely alliterative message to each other. So I've spent the past year training to be an alliterative wonderkind. <laughs> it has not Amazing. gone without notice. I'm glad. I'm glad that, that all this hard work has, I mean, it's, I mean, it's already paid off for me, but I'm glad that I can pass it on to all of you. <laughs> This was the season where we started to get a little lemony snickety with the narrator in that we get to get a little bit of his life outside of him being a narrator. Like there's just like you get yeah. some details of who he is and stuff. And I'm into it. I'm very into it. More well, discussion about the actual like location, his workplace and all the events that go on there. I know that my whole deal is overcomplicating things for myself. I was trying to keep it simple. But the problem is that once I wrote the character again and again and again and had to make sure that what he was saying wasn't just a bunch of info dump, but was actually interesting. Well, before Howling House came out, we released eight episodes of Pod Friends content for like sharing other shows that we're fans of. And all of those were introduced by the narrator. And all of those now also have canonical details about the narrator's life and the way that WIS works baked into them because I had to do expository writing about the narrator. 
So if you haven't listened to those, one, they're great shows. You should listen to them. But two, there's more narrator content if you've become surprisingly invested in his life. <laughs> can, we have a, can we have a one-off, a one-shot uh, with the narrator? Like, You know what I mean? I think that'd be great. Uh, if we get more show, yes. He plays a Go different Go to CthulhuMystery.com slash crowdfund. <laughs> Kata specifically talked to me about that, like about ideas she has with the narrator and getting involved in his own weird business like a decade after the uh the events of the uh i guess when the game itself takes place usually around the t- mid 20s i mean it's a weird it's a weird yeah. balance because like the call of Cthulhu mystery program is a radio show on wis yep and the radio show is set during the 1920s wis and the playing of the show happens in the mid 30s which is indicated by some very specific historical details that trickle out in the content i've just been talking about So I find that the hardest part about any role-playing game for podcasting is the starting and the stopping. Getting the characters together and then like having a a fitting epilogue. It very seldom is something that I'd feel 100% comfortable releasing like unedited because it's just kind of blocky. So what we did was we recorded a bunch of sequences where we were just... um, improvising ways that the characters could meet up or otherwise get their asses kicked into being in front of howling house yeah the hardest thing honestly was like okay why are we all here like what is it that roger because they they basically came down to what does roger have on each of us that is causing us to come to howling house in the middle of the night what would be the thing that woods would get there and that's where yeah all of the all of the character sheets for the dare are, are are predetermined for the most part with all these different archetypes and one of them was the boy scout and i was like oh that's great that's so different from the character that i play in dungeons and doritos which is a rogue kind of impish you know a ridiculous character scamp yeah and woods is very much not that he has his his moments but because i'm still me but he's definitely not barty gleeman like brandon i wanted to play something that was different and so it was what was it that brought woods to the house and okay well he's a boy scout ah okay well he must have done something that roger knows and that's where we came up with the the scoutmaster's knife while we were sitting and getting to know each other over dinner yeah, everybody but Chris was able to get together to have some dinner beforehand, and that's where a lot of the details between like uh, Tommy and Chelsea were hashed. Yeah, out. being a sister. Yep. With the with the knife, we had the knife, but we didn't we didn't have Dorothy Pickett. In fact, I think what we recorded was there were some lines about like you were just gonna you you were gonna show the knife to like the guys. It was extremely the reason that Woods had the Scoutmaster's knife was extremely vague. So when all was said and done and I was listening to everything, it became very apparent that we needed to punch that up big time. So that entire sequence is fully scripted. Now, people probably know that when I do scripted sequences that involve dice rolls, the dice rolls are still real. Uh, I look at people's character sheets. I sort of decide what the character would do. I roll for it and let that determine then where the script goes and leave all the numbers and everything in the script. And we just you know, perform it as is. So Dorothy, let's see, her name kind of comes from one of the character sheets. It's Darlene Pickett. And uh, I don't really know why I changed her name, but um, yeah, <laughs> borrowed the name and invented a character. I'm a huge fan of Moonrise Kingdom, the Wes Anderson movie. It's 
probably my favorite Wes Anderson movie. And there's a not Cub Scouts featured in in that film. They're called the Khaki Scouts. And (laughs) there's just incredible, awkward Wes Anderson energy in a bunch of kids who are doing something like the Scouts where they are children attempting to be adults. And I love that energy. And that is so very much Woods. So I thought it would be really great to pair him with another child pretending to be an adult. Also, we, we knew that this was set in 1920. And we knew that it was set like at the end of summer, but we didn't know exactly when. So I picked a arbitrary Saturday, which is August 21st. And that happened to be several days after the ratification of the 19th Amendment. I looked at a bunch of other stuff that happened. Like I was looking at what movies came out. What did Woods think he could invite her out on a date to or whatever. But the 19th Amendment led me to the whole like playing a weird voting game with the Little Sisters. Yeah. A lot lot stronger than uh, just Scoutmaster McGuffin's knife on its own. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And also, too, the other thing is like the same thing happened in season two, because the way that we do Call of Cthulhu mystery program is that you record it in the room with the players and then that is edited. Cat then listens to those edited and raw episodes and then takes pieces from those edited pieces and punches that up with writing and then sends it back for sound design. After re-records of, of like, oh, there's a moment where there's some table talk happening here, or we need to add this aspect of the story to it, or there's something here that needs to be elaborated on. There's nothing really that is vastly different than what's going on in the game itself for the most part. It does in this in this season, but it didn't so much in season two. But the first episode both are more in the percentage of audio drama than actual play. And so each of the episodes kind of dance between are they more of one or are they more of the other? And so that's why it's this really cool blend of the two, because no episode is truly just actual play or truly just audio drama, except for, I would say, episode one really is um, very much like in that audio drama realm. Having gone through the second series, going into this one at the beginning of it, there was much more of a conscious effort to begin thinking about that, even as we were getting ready to play. That was part of sitting mm-hmm. around at dinner was to like talk about the relationships that these characters have and, you know, have those little moments and things specifically to have some seeds for building that out when it actually came time to like record additional dialogue and things like that for the intro. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, we did keep original audio from those improvised scenes. It's just mixed in in a way that builds off. Of, I mean, like, no, none of those scenes were so ironclad that we could just keep the whole thing out, right? We still had yeah. to change context. We still had to, like, add more details once we learned more about, like, where everybody was coming from and why they were actually, like, entirely getting together. But all the best deliveries of things or really good character moments, I preserve everything that I can. So re-records only happen when they need to. All these takes, all these scenes are entirely Frankenstein when they were scenes that actually were conceived at the table. And the goal is to make it sound where everything is one thing as opposed to different iterations of recordings and different times and, you know, literal years between recordings. So the goal is to make it sound all cohesive. Working with all these plots and stuff, we had to reverse engineer a couple things that became really important in the first episode. Something I didn't know about 
or didn't realize about the way that Evelyn Barnaker's like mesmerism and stuff was going to uh, manifest itself in the original version of the dare was that all the kids would be having hallucinations about their grandmothers. And in listening to the raw recordings over and over again, I really liked Tommy and Chelsea's content with their grandmother when that happened originally. But in the original scene that got them on the on the road, they were talking to their mom. So we had to redo all of that. But it opened a lot of interesting doors because why are they being taken care of by their grandmother? Well, we'll get into that a little bit down the line. But I saw opportunities in the stories that had been created improvisationally throughout the course of the gameplay with Joey and the way that he treated other people and the concept of him having been a middle child. All that interplaying with Dirt mentioning having a dead mom. So... I kept the grandma stuff for Tommy and Chelsea, but then had to build out Joey and, and Dirt's mom, uh, how they were mentioned, how they were talked about so they could have a presence. So when the mesmerism starts, when the final act happens where they get mentioned, like all that has to, to work. And all that work starts here in the additional scenes or new dialogue that was added while the cast is getting together. It's the kind of setup and payoff thing that it's hard to do if you're just if I'm if I'm going to sit down and run a 4 hour game it's hard to build that kind of setup and payoff than than if you're expanding it out like yeah. this not just on an individual character level yeah. but on multiple characters like yeah. across the board that sort of like potential there was only going to reveal itself once we'd played the game and then all that stuff happened but instead of it being like oh I guess we're dealing with Joey's grandma now he's literally never mentioned her before now we have a character that we also have a relationship with. So we talked about Woods and Dorothy. Uh, we should mention that Dorothy is played by Alicia Fuss, who is married to Colin. And this isn't the first time I've romantically paired them before. She also plays Princess Jalapeno, a scripted character in Dungeons and Doritos, who has a complicated relationship with Colin's character, Barty. Uh, and I, 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 you know, I, I love tapping into their existing relationship energies. Now, uh, Dorothy's sister, Millie, and Dots are the two actual children playing children in the show, Danny and Abigail. They're the daughters of two of my girlfriends who live on opposite ends of the country. So these two kids have only met online ever. And I thought they did a wonderful job. I've done this before, having children voice children in audio drama. And I really love it because most people don't bother to do it. It is tricky. And it was, I was wondering if maybe I shouldn't do it since we have adults playing children, but I figured like, okay, well, younger children can be voiced by literal children, and maybe that'll help make an even greater distinction here. I didn't expect it to be as good as it turned out. I was shocked by how like insipidly cute those deliveries were. <laughs> yeah, they did a good job. I was impressed. So um, I lost a lot of time researching Boy Scout stuff. <laughs> yep. On Patreon, I've published a whole article about a lot of the details of this. I guess I'll sort of do a, a Cliff Notes version here. There was plenty of things we didn't really know about scouting going into this, but fortunately, most of it worked. Most of it stayed consistent ever since the scouts started. There was discussions about, like, Tommy's age. At 12 years old, like, how many badges could he conceivably have? Because he would have only just been allowed into the Boy Scouts. And even as, like, a hard worker, where would that have put him? Then also things I'd, I'd never heard of before, like we're all probably familiar in this day and age with scouts having sashes that the badges go on. But in fact, it was originally like they sewed them onto their sleeves. All their outfits had long sleeves and they sewed them onto their sleeves like some weird polka dot thing. 
So that's why when Tommy says, like, there's going to be badges all over that sleeve, it's meant very literally. I remember very distinctly the conversation that you and I had as you were scripting Tommy's introduction and 12-year-old Tenderfoot. Like, you desperately wanted to keep that alliteration. Like, you liked, like you loved the way that that sounded, but you were like, ah, but he wouldn't be a Tenderfoot. Like, there's just no way that he would be a Tenderfoot. Like, just based on how old he was or, like, where it was, like, he just couldn't be a Tenderfoot. And we were just like, ah. And so I remember, like, I remember that conversation and the agonizing back and forth. And it's just, like, it's just, ah, we'll just do it. We'll just do it. It'll be okay. It'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, but no, you no really, yeah. Like, you really considered it, though. Well, the thing is, you think you're going to ask the internet a simple question. You're like, well, surely they know this. And then all of a sudden, you're like, they don't know this. Like, this is not an easy-to-answer question. And end up on all these weird GeoCities sites and stuff, reverse engineering, okay, what badges were available in 1920 specifically? There had been a couple shakeups already. Some had already been discontinued. And, like, how did you get them? And, like, Woods should have a wood carving badge. Oh, there isn't one? Surely there's got to be one. And then I figure out, oh, no, it's the Craftsman badge, but the Craftsman badge applies to multiple disciplines and all this different stuff. And I was like, shit, okay, well, hmm, uh, how do I make all this work? And I, I learned too much information and was constantly coming up with, can I do this? Would this be interesting? Did you go out and buy badges for Woods? Is, is that what you're showing us, Colin? Cat did. I, uh... <laughs> I, cat, I, cat bought me badges. Okay, so in order <laughs> in order to get accurate information on the requirements for the badges to figure out if there's any way, shape, and form that Woods could achieve these badges. This I is had to... why season four costs sixteen thousand dollars, y'all. No, it's not. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I I'm do this kidding. work for free. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Listen, we, we just we just need to we just need to earn enough money so that Kat can buy all the burglary equipment to uh, break into the uh, the FBI archives and do original research. That's right. <laughs> Look, they already have systems in place. We can Freedom of Information Act whatever we want. It's all good. Believe me, I already have a dossier going. It's fine. It's uh. <laughs> uh anyway, okay. I, yes. In order, I see. In, in, order to, yeah. in order to give the fictional character fictional badges, I have to find out how the real, how a real world person gets those badges in real life but in the 1920s. So in order to do that, I had to track down the scout handbooks for each of those badges, which details how you get the badges. And one of the ways that I did that was there was this, there's this website, I forget what it's called, but it's specifically for buying old scouting stuff. And then also eBay. And one of my favorite things about eBay is that if you're ever like, shit, I wish I could find a high definition scan of something, someone's probably photographed it to prove that they're selling you a high quality item on eBay. So you look at all the eBay auctions and look at all the pictures and I can I could read all this these details and all these different auctions and stuff. And through that, I realized that I could, for a reasonable amount of money, give Colin the heartfelt gift of exactly Woods' badges from exactly that time period, uh, awesome. which is what I did. Merry fucking Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> It was awesome. It was such a lovely gift. Um, but yeah, the, that's, that's. I mean, like, it gives you kind of an idea of the extent that Cat goes down the rabbit hole, which makes, honestly, this, it makes the world building of all of these different characters so much more, they have so much more depth because of the research that you put into the world in which they're living. There's a reality that exists in your brain. And it's very, very robust and also exceptionally um detailed i mean i've seen the pages of notes that you have 
on so many different things. And so the richness of the world is what I think gives so much of the depth and so much of the character work that happens in the show comes from that. It's not a fault. It's a definite strength. It's an amazing strength that you have. This feels like I'm, I'm really grateful for all of that, Colin, because most of the time it feels like my neurodivergence is actively hurting me. I wish that I could just write something and not care, but instead I've got to like, you know, to bake an apple pie, I must first invent the universe. Um, <laughs> we just yeah. got to strap her down, have her watch uh, Rise of the Skywalker 35 times in a row Gosh. until she comes out going, don't worry, guys. Next time, we're just we're just going to just going to do some mystery boxes. We'll just put some stuff in, answer all the questions <laughs> later. Can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. Next season's going to be great. Uh, fuck J.J. Abrams, uh, fuck the new Star Wars, and, um, but if you love mystery boxes, then head to CthulhuMystery.com slash crowdfund, where you can get your very own Lot X mystery box. I promise you, it's filled with rad shit. We have so much rad shit, and we're gonna give you a personalized survey to fill out that's gonna allow me to handpick the coolest stuff based on your personal tastes. We only have five left. There were ten. They are actually the most popular thing we have aside from the role-playing books and the fish coins so uh come on down uh yeah what were we talking about jj abrams right you you started so strong with the strap her down part and then you ruined it um anyway hello But so the, we, yeah, we're talking about woods. We were talking about the the boy scouting. Yeah. And now, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Roger Klotz busts in. Oh, did I say Klotz? I meant Simmons. But no, it's Roger Klotz from you know from the cartoon show Doug from the nineties. If you know it, you know that yep. I literally did a Roger Klotz impression the entire time. That was the yep. joke. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just do an aside on that real quick. In the nineteen nineties, one of the first animated shows on Nickelodeon was a show called Doug. It was based on the real life of the creator, Jim Jenkins, and that show is so ludicrously detailed, even though it seems completely unassuming, that they had active street maps of the entire fictional town of Bluffington. I know this because I have one of the show Bibles from their seventh season, and also watched literally all of Doug for a episode of Nerdy Show, a deep dive exploration episode that I've never written But I became intensely fascinated with Doug for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is Doug's sister, Judy Funny. More on that in other things that you can find that we've done. Um, (laughs) That show is way better than it has a right to be. The characters are really well-defined, really interesting. And you'll find that all the worst things that Roger does as a bully are all things that I've borrowed from other things because I can't even tell you how much being a bully is the antithesis to my very being but i needed to do a good job so i borrowed heavily from people who had already done a good job of it starting with roger and we'll work our way through the rest of the the handful of other bullies i sampled from i personally like got a huge fucking kick out of delivering a hard r version of that character from the animated series that i really like <laughs> yeah yeah and i got to say i i really appreciated that like as the GM, because it was one extra thing I didn't have to focus on. It was like, oh, I don't have to bully the kids. I have someone there to do that for me. I can focus on the house and what's going on. And it was just one extra like load off of it, which made it much more pleasant to run. <laughs> we did do a scene where Ace and Roger got at each other's cases. What's happening in this household? Like he, you need he's, 1920s he slapped me words. around. Yeah. Is there a dad in the picture? 
I imagine definitely not. But but Ace. Oh, you should say that when you know Dad's not here, so I'm in charge. There we go. You know, it's like um, Dairy and um, Pony Boy from Outsiders. Roger. Roger. What Ace? What? Listen up. Listen. You're not gonna go running off again tonight, are you? <laughs> I'll do what I want, Ace. No, no, no. You don't do what you want. You better not be going anywhere tonight. Mom, she's been crying all fucking week over you. I don't know what's gotten into you lately, running around like some kind of crazy little shit. I'm not having it. I'm not letting it happen to her, and, and I'm not having you hurting yourself, making her more upset. Oh, I don't. you don't gotta worry about me, Ace. You don't ever have to worry about me. You ain't gonna ever have to worry about me again. That better be the case, because if not, I'm gonna beat you senseless, you hear me? Listen, ever since those Krauts killed Dad, I'm in charge. Get it? Oh, I got it. I got a lot of lumps in my head that's got it. I got it, Ace. I got it. I got it so good. I, you you ain't never had it so good how good I got it. Why don't you come over here and I'll teach you again one more time. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm mighty fine right here. Okay, then. Get out of my fucking face. Sir, yes, sir. The way that the dare has written Roger is he's a kid from a poor family who's in an abusive household. And to take a cue from Roger Klotz from Doug, I was like, okay, I don't like that he's poor and therefore he's a bad guy. That was how Roger started off in the television show Doug, is he's poor and he's a bully. And you eventually see that he's got a single mom and there's things going on with his dad and there's sympathetic doorways into that character's life. But something they did really smart when the show continued from Nickelodeon to when Disney bought it and did three more seasons, which contrary to what you've heard, they're actually really fucking good. People just don't like change and uh, miss the memo on that was the point. So Roger's family strikes it rich. They course corrected. They're like, we don't like this either. He's the only kid like of a lower income in the entire show. And he's the villain that's fucked up. So they made him rich and he's still a bully. And so I was like, all right, Roger Simmons is rich now. We changed that. Luke's playing of Ace was really tight and really angry. I borrowed a bunch of stuff from it. And the recast, Zachary Forteus Gum, who's the uh, creator of The Orphans, an audio drama that um, you're probably aware of via association with us. And also he does Realms of Peril and Glory, which is a show that we played as one of our Pod Friends Month pieces, which uh, John Laval, who plays Oswald in Lot X, and I have been on a couple times. Um, in 2023, look forward to an entire season of content of Zach and John and I doing medieval fantasy stuff. That's on Realms of Peril and Glory, not Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program, by the way. So I love Zach's performance in this. I feel like he's got this like Harrison Ford kind of snarl. Yeah, yeah. Really love that. Yeah, that kid's going to grow up and shout at somebody to get off his plane. I mean, <laughs> you know, if, if he could grow up. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think if I remember correctly, like I mentioned to you that like Ace might show up. But when we talked about it in advance, I think one of the things was like, it's all going to depend on how things shake out, because it's it's something where if things are going really quickly, a million miles an hour inside the house and people have done something, I might not have time to bring him in. Right. But I also might. And it was, so you didn't even know whether he was going to show up again. Yeah, that's true. In order to do the scene between Roger and Ace, I wrote a whole alternate backstory for the two of them because they need to know what the family dynamic was. So basically, Roger had uh, wealthy parents, and then his mom died, and his dad remarried, and the woman he married had two older kids. One was Nikki, who went to World War I and got killed by the Germans, and the other one was Ace, who managed to survive. 
Roger really felt like a second-class citizen in his own home and for a lot of reasons is just kind of like forgotten and, and acting out in different ways. He's not really a particularly redeemable character, but there is a human underneath him in the, in the backstory in terms of like the actual living child who was Roger was a human being who all of his bullying and all that awful stuff came from a deep well of hurt and one that was really hard to reconcile in the family dynamics that he was living in, especially with like parents who weren't paying any attention to him anymore. Roger was here. Roger was, yeah. So I started seeding in weird things for Roger. Like Roger being a skin servitor was present from the beginning in a lot of different ways. Like when he says like, was your mama fadoodling the scoutmaster? Like fadoodling is a real word. And I can't find the reference for it specifically, but it's like, it is a very archaic term for like fooling around sexually, which he's only using because William Barnaker's in his head. That's like period appropriate to at least that iteration of William. And before we leave the scene with Tommy and Roger, Colin, you had this great use of Woods's oath later on in the recordings like all that like oath reading that's something that that came out during the show so i wanted to introduce it earlier because it becomes so important later your performance where you as woods are slapping yourself like that was such a great moment of like added i guess neurosis maybe is the right word for it i'm not really sure but like like woods um dealing with a lot being a kid who's like dealing with a lot he's Um, honestly it's so much of it so much like i think so much of what woods what comes down to it is that he puts so much pressure on himself to be all of the things in the scout's oath. And yeah. it's impossible for you to do all of those things. It's impossible for you to be everything all at once. And I think that Woods doesn't know that and still doesn't know that, like still doesn't understand that and still doesn't understand that he can't get there. There's no way that he could possibly get to a point where he can be all of those things all at once because nobody's a perfect human being. And I think that's where he's coming at it in that first episode. But that that came from the big moment in the fight between Roger and the team and how, you know, when Roger and the gang are fighting, Woods jumps off of the, the stairway. That's where that came from, where he was just like saying the scout's oath, like underneath his breath about the uh, the scout being brave and then cat kind of like sprinkled it in throughout the rest of the the show which was lovely well and you used it later on i mean like that's how that's how you oh yeah 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 yeah. from that point on it was a part of his character i just went back and put made it happen earlier so it doesn't come out of nowhere also uh wilbraham academy which is a very stupid name is a real place in massachusetts and uh i did again a bunch of unnecessary research trying to figure out exactly the kind of place where roger's family would try to get rid of him um that was existent at the time so you know what this episode's getting on a little bit long we're gonna cut it up into reasonable bite-sized chunks so we will see you next week with one final public installment of cthulhu cthomentary discussing our first episode of night at howling house again that is uh part two of us talking about episode one coming next week and uh our patrons, well, they know what's up at patreon.com slash omniversemedia, where Cthulhu Cthomentary for all Cthulhu seasons lives and will live. But as far as the future of any new stories, 
Again, we ask you to head to CthulhuMystery.com slash crowdfund to go to our Indiegogo campaign and help us fund the post-production costs for our next season, The Case of the Penumbral Gate. Time is running out. Pay your money. Open the way. The key in the gate. Yog Sothoth demands it. Open the way. Let him into this world. He speaks to you. I know he does because I hear him in my dreams. And with an endorsement like that, how can you possibly say no to supporting the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program on Indiegogo? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for listening. Bye, I'm Kat. I'm Luke. And I'm Colin. Thanks for listening to the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program. This series is recorded and produced in Central Florida and Nashville, Tennessee, on lands stolen from their indigenous people, the Tamuqua and Seminole, and Yuchi, Chickasaw, Shawnee, and Cherokee, respectively. Acknowledgement of the first peoples of these lands and the lasting repercussions of colonization is just the beginning of the restorative work that is necessary. Through awareness, we can prompt allyship, action, and ultimately, decolonization. For links to aid indigenous efforts, and to learn more about the First Nations of the land where you live, visit CthulhuMystery.com slash land back. If you enjoy this podcast broadcast, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. And be sure to subscribe to our series via your favorite podcast player to get all the latest episodes. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the support of listeners like you and our incredible team of Patreon producers. Joe Tank Rizziardelli, Miona MK86, Sean Hutchinson, Sean T. Red, Josh King, Patrick Webster, and Chris Cohen. And our executive Patreon producers, Big Bad Shadow Man, Marcus Larson, Jamieson Malone, and Becky Scott Fairley. Join the team at patreon.com slash omniverse media. Our original score is composed and performed by Ryan McQuinn and Mike McQuinn of Neon Dolphins. Home for all your custom music needs and more, NeonDolphinMusic.com. This has been the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program. Good night. Omniverse. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. It happened in the quiet town of Podunk, an ages-old family mystery. What happened with great-grandpa? Why won't you talk about it? Because there's nothing to say, Ninten. Begets an unprecedented paranormal event. Poltergeists. My lamp attacked me. It was hovering the air. It unplugged itself and came at me. Mind control. Why is that crow smoking a cigarette? Okay, we're playing inside today. Zombies. I could have gotten out of here on my own. You were hiding in a coffin. It was a good disguise. Extraterrestrials. You've seen them too? I've been observing them for days. (laughs) I beat up aliens with my baseball bat. Children with psychokinetic powers. I let that little light of mine shine, Mama. And it melted the darkness away. And that's just the beginning. Introducing Mother She Wrote, a travelogue diary through the biggest cult phenomena in video game history, the Mother series, as it's called in Japan, and Earthbound, as it's called everywhere else. 
Each episode, we recount the story through immersive audio drama as it's lived by the characters, unpacking the surreal adventures, tear-jerking moments, and what it all means. If you're new to the series, we'll take you beyond the controller and into the story. And if you're a longtime fan, relive these tales like never before and learn fascinating new facts about your favorite games. Find Mother She Wrote on your favorite podcast player and at MotherSheWrote.Earth.